0: it 's interesting about Ezekiel and Isaiah does the same thing that the Bible will talk about a lot of illustrations we saw in in ezekiel twenty eight the illustration uh, that that described the fall of Satan in heaven. Uh, isaiah does the same thing in isaiah fourteen tonight if we can get all the way to thirty one we 'll see what 's called the the illustration of the cosmic tree, which also is a parallel with the divine the divine beings that fell. So whenever we're talking about the rebellion of the nations, it's God never separates the rebellion of the nations from the rebellion of the angels. So you have fallen angels, right? Everybody tracking with me? And we have fallen nations that have rebelled against the Lord. And when God talks about the judgment that he will bring... In the illustrations, he will give an illustration, provide an illustration that speaks about the divine falling. And then he will tell the nations, if I'm going to judge them, I'm also going to judge you. If they were brought low because of their pride, you also will be brought low because of your pride. And so we'll see that as we work our way through looking at Ezekiel. So we're talking about Egypt. This is the oracle of Egypt. There's uh, all the way through chapter 32, uh, we'll be talking about the oracle of Egypt. And the issue behind God's judgment is their pride. Now, does everybody understand that the Bible teaches us that God hates the proud, but gives grace to the humble? Humble. The Bible talks about God resisting the proud, and the word for resist is the exact same word that the Bible uses when it says for you and I to resist the devil and he will flee. So does anybody want to be in the category where God is resisting us in the same way we're supposed to resist the devil? So pride and arrogant look is the top of the list on the things God hates in the book of Proverbs. So as we look, we're going to be dealing with the pride of Egypt. And so (coughs) we'll see that, and hopefully I'll be able to tie it together in uh, 30 minutes. Ready? Here we go. Okay, Ezekiel 30, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy and say, thus says the Lord God, Wail, alas for the day, the day is near. The day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a day of doom. For the nations. Now, every time the Bible talks about the day of the Lord, that is the day of judgment. So I don't want us to get confused, you know, we're looking for the day of the return of Christ, and that is going to be a glorious day for the redeemed. But it is going to be a bad day for everybody else. The redeemed. They, they are, are going to see the restoration of the kingdom of God established and then the wicked will see judgment, right? So the day of the Lord is a day of doom, a day of doom for the nations. The nations in rebellion against God, will that rebellion will be put down. Verse 4, he says, now a sword came upon Egypt, anguish in Cush, when the slain fell in Egypt and her wealth is carried away, her foundations torn. Uh, torn down, Cush and Put and Lud and Arabia and Libya and all the people of the land that is in league shall fall with them by the sword. So all those aligned with Egypt. Now we're going to see this again in the book of Revelation. And I might talk about it a little bit tonight, but I don't want to confuse people too much. But you have seven kingdoms Basically, as far as the Bible is concerned, there are seven kingdoms that you see God's specific judgment. I know there's been more kingdoms in the world, but the point is this is to illustrate the point. You have the kingdom of Assyria. You have the kingdom of Egypt. You have the (coughs) kingdom of Babylon. You have the kingdom of the Medo-Persian. You have the kingdom of the Greeks, and you have the kingdom of Rome, part one, And part two, so you have seven kingdoms and they all have one thing in common. You know what it is? They all fall. They all fall down. And in Revelation, he's going to talk about the sixth one, Rome, dying and then coming to life again. Now, a lot of people will say he's he's talking about the beast. The Antichrist is going to die and come back. I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think he's talking about kingdoms. And a kingdom, the kingdom of Rome is gone. And then the kingdom of Rome will be restored. And that seventh kingdom will also become itself the eighth, the one that brings forth the Antichrist. So as we look at it, the picture that the, the Oracle of the Nations is painting all these nations that rise up and think they're the greatest thing since sliced bread—they all fall down. Every one of them. So said no different for us in our day. People say, "Well, no, nobody—the Bible never told us about the British Empire." Yeah. Well, did the British Empire end different than any of the other ones? Then the Bible did tell us about it. All the kingdoms of men will rise. Make a claim to greatness and then they fall. The Ottoman Empire, Bible never talked about the Ottoman Empire, sure it did. What do all the kings of man do? They rise and then they fall. What about the United States? You're witnessing the fall right now, are you not? Sure seems like it to me. And will there be another who steps up? For sure but they're, they're, the result is going to be the same. The picture the illustration painted in scripture is the kingdoms of man cannot stand; they are temporal, they are not eternal. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of God. It will last, and so all of those who support egypt they're going to fall. Those who support Egypt shall fall, and the and her proud might shall come down. All who boast in their abilities. Eventually, they all come down. From Migdal to Syene, they will fall within her by the sword, declares the Lord God. <clears throat> You're going to see three, three parts of the judgment of God. You see it in Revelation. You see it throughout the prophets. You see the, the horsemen of the apocalypse. You have war, pestilence, and famine. Here, the Lord is saying the judgment that's going to bring Egypt down is going to be, he says, the sword. That's war. So war is going to bring them down. He goes on in verse 7. They will be desolated in the midst of desolated countries, their cities in the midst of cities that are laid waste. And they will know that I am the Lord when I have set fire to Egypt and all her helpers are broken. Now keep in mind, this judgment that God's talking about, this is not the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is coming. And the The issue about the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, there is opportunity for repentance. There's an opportunity for salvation. There's an opportunity to be redeemed. But the day of the Lord, it's over. Do you understand the difference? So one sense of judgment is a sense of grace. Because the the judgment comes... And man has a choice. He has an opportunity. I can lift my eyes to heaven and cry out for the Lord or I can shake my fist at him. One or the other, I can do. And so we, you're, you're given that opportunity. In Revelation, it talks about the same thing over and over again. <clears throat> Yet the people would not repent, but the opportunity is there. That means the event, that judgment is grace. It's not the end. Grace is an opportunity to turn and be restored by the Lord. Scripture goes on now, um, and he says on verse nine, on that day messengers will go out uh, from me in ships to terrify the unsuspecting people of Cush. Anguish will come upon them as the day of Egypt's doom, for behold, it comes. So the end is coming, this judgment is falling, and when that judgment falls, there will be anxiety flowing through the people, uh, worry and concern flowing through the people. We just experience the same thing through pestilence didn't we you guys all remember 2020 still don't you we haven't forgot it yet and so same thing yeah man has an opportunity shake a fist at god or repent repent he goes on in verse 10 thus says the lord god I will put an end to the wealth of Egypt by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So this specific judgment, an opportunity for Egypt to to call out to the Lord, they have an opportunity to call upon his name, but they're never going to be the same after this. So this is the removal of Egypt as a world power player. After Babylon, it's pretty much done. There'll be a few skirmishes later on, but for the most part, Egypt is not going to be on the world stage as a world power. Just like nobody today is talking about Assyria, are they? Nobody's talking about Babylon. Nobody's really talking about Greece. Nobody's talking about the Medo-Persians. Because the story of the kingdoms of men is they rise and they fall. The Lord says in verse 12... And I will dry up the Nile and I will sell the land into the hand of evildoers. I will bring desolation on the land and everything in it by the hand of foreigners. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now keep in mind, all the while the Lord is saying, look, part of the judgment is also against the divine being who, who ha- or is responsible for the geographical area of Egypt. There were false gods they worshiped, right, that they believed could restore them to favor. No? And those gods are being judged in the same way. And I've shared with you before that I believe the foundation for most of those are fallen angels, which we're going to see a little bit of when we look at chapter 31. The idea of those who have fallen (coughs) um, of the angelic host. So God is saying, you will know I'm the Lord. It's not the one that you think. It's not the angel who came to you in the cave and said, hey, I'm going to give you holy scriptures. It's not the angel who showed up and said they had some special vision for you. That's why the Bible says to do what with angels? Just accept everything they say because they're shiny and they look cool? No, the Bible says to test all the spirits. How do we test the spirit? Not by your own intelligence. How do we do it? If what they say lines up with the word of God, hey, you got, you got a viable um, deliverance of a message from an angel. If what they say is in rebellion or opposition to the word of God, what do you have? You have a false angel. Is there such a thing? Does the Bible not say that Satan can appear as an angel of light? Has there ever been a world religion that started by a vision with an angel? Right? So these are the things the Lord is saying. Look, there's judgment <coughs> upon those angels. They don't, they're not, they don't have a pass. The Lord is saying to them behind the scenes, look, I, I'm going to bring you down. Read Psalm 82. I'm going to bring you down. Verse 13, thus says the Lord God, I will destroy the idols. I'll put an end to the images in Memphis. There no longer be a prince in the land of Egypt. So I will put fear in the land of Egypt. I will make Pathros a desolation, set fire to Zoan. I will execute judgment on Thebes. I will pour out my wrath on Pelusium and the stronghold of Egypt. I will cut off the multitude of Thebes. I will set fire to Egypt. Pelusium will be in great agony. Thebes will be breached. Memphis will face enemies by day. The young men of On and, and Pi-Beseth will fall by the sword And the women will go into captivity (coughs) at T.F. uh, You guys can say it yourself. The day shall be dark and I will break there. The yoke bars of Egypt, her proud might, shall come to an end in her. She will be covered by a cloud. Her daughters will go to captivity. Thus I will execute judgments on Egypt and they shall know that I am the Lord. So every judgment that comes against the nations is also a judgment on the powers behind the nations. The Bible says that we do not war with flesh and blood, but principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness of this age. The Bible tells us that there is a real spiritual battle. And those are also intimated as we look at the prophecies that Ezekiel brings to us. In <clears throat> verse 20, he goes on, in the 11th year, the first month, seventh day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, I have broke the arm of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And behold, it has not been bound up to heal it by binding with a bandage so that it might become strong to wield the sword. So the Lord is saying, look, I've, I've brought this. We see this in Revelation, like I've shared with you. You have judgments, little things that come to spur a nation to repent and the nation stiffens its neck or stiffens its back or continues headlong into rebellion. The Lord describes it like this. I have wounded you and you did not bind it up. You did not do what was necessary for healing. You did not do what was necessary for restoration. And so a broken arm doesn't kill you. But a broken arm that you never have set that you never deal with, that you never take care of may. He says, so behold, I am against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and will break his arms, the strong and the one that is broken, and I will make the sword fall from his hand. So he's saying his might, he's talking about a nation here, the might of the nation to be able to defend herself, to be able to conquer other nations, he's going to take it away. Right? Is, is anybody having a hard time sleeping at night for fear that the Egyptians are going to make us all slaves? No? Because God said, hey, I'm going to take away her might. Once that wasn't true in the world. Once Egypt was a player. Once she was on the stage with all the greats. She's one of the seven primary nations that the Bible talks about. The Lord's going to say over and over again. He's going to, in fact, make Egypt a a comparison with the world, right? To not return to the world. Turn your back on Egypt and go to the Lord. Just like the children of Israel were set free from bondage to Egypt, the Lord calls his people to also be set free. He says in verse 23, I will scatter... The Egyptians among the nations, I will disperse them through the countries. I will strengthen the arms of the king of Babylon and put my sword in his hand. And I will break the arms of Pharaoh and he will groan before him like a man mortally wounded. So one nation, Babylon, is going to conquer Egypt. And Babylon becomes, like other times in the past that the scripture talks about, the sword of the Lord. So it's the nation through whom God will bring his judgment upon other nations. Does it mean Babylon is righteous? It has nothing to do with their righteousness. It just has to do with their place in the society at the time, and God can use them as his tool. Uh, He says in verse 25, I will strengthen the arms of the king of Babylon, but the arms of Pharaoh will fall, and they will know that I am the Lord will the gods of Egypt be able to deliver them from the hands of Yahweh? No. So if an angel was to swoop down and meet with Pharaoh who called himself Ra on earth, God on earth, and he would call himself Ra, if an angel swooped down to Pharaoh and said, don't worry about this, we will give you the might to deliver you from Babylon, could they do it? No. (coughs) Is the devil or his minions equal to Yahweh? No. All we're talking about is created beings who are rebelling against their creator. And God saying, here are my purposes so that you will know I'm in charge. That Yahweh is God. That he is the Lord. So, He says, they will know I am the Lord when I put the sword into the hand of the king of Babylon. And he stretches it out against Egypt and will scatter the Egyptians among the nations, disperse them among the countries that they might know that I am the Lord. So he's saying, look, I'm I'm going to take them off the table as a world player. And that's exactly what occurred. And that's what occurred to the six before. Assyria Egypt uh, Babylon Medo-Persia Greece and Rome right and Daniel started it all with a dream Daniel by the way is a contemporary of Ezekiel right you remember the dream Nebuchadnezzar had I saw a statue and it had a head of gold and a chest of silver and, and a, a thigh of bronze and then feet of iron uh, or legs of iron and feet of iron mixed with clay so that had some of the strength, some of the weakness, and well, what i don't know what this dream means. who told him what the dream meant? Daniel right? because Yahweh told Daniel what's the dream mean? The dream means that all the kingdoms of man fall. the head of gold becomes the chest of silver, becomes the belly of bronze becomes the legs of iron, becomes the feet with iron mixed with clay. And what happens in the day of the feet, uh, with the legs of iron and the feet with iron mixed with clay? A stone cut out from the heavens is gonna strike the kingdoms of men and destroy it and that little stone <coughs> is gonna grow into the kingdom of God. So at the time of that fourth nation, Rome, the Lord is saying the the. Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the Prince, the Promised One. He's going to come and destroy all the kingdoms of men. How did Christ destroy all the kingdoms of men? He came, he died on the cross, he rose from the grave, he sits at the Father's hand and the Father says, sit here until I make your enemies your footstool. They were conquered at the cross. And so what Daniel saw is occurred? Are the kingdoms of men able to stand? No. We have more than two thousand years. If, if we take written history, we can go back almost ten thousand years. In written history, we can go back ten thousand years. And what does that ten thousand years tell me? I know if you're young Earth, sorry, the, but there actually is ten thousand years of written history. I know there's only supposed to be seven thousand years, and then Christ returns. But that's a little simplistic. So when we look at the reality of life. 10,000 years written history, what do we know about every kingdom? What happened to the Aztecs? What happened to the Mayans? What happened to the Spaniards? What happened to every kingdom of men? They rise, and when they're at the top, what do they say? We're the best. We've got it all. No one will ever bring us down. And then what happens? How many times does the same story have to repeat before we learn the lesson? Have we learned it yet? I tell you right now in the United States somewhere, there's somebody saying, we'll never fall. See, you're crazy. Yeah, you will. In fact, you're falling now. You just don't know it yet. (laughs) They will rise up in pride and the Lord will bring them down. In Ezekiel chapter 31, we see the illustration of the cosmic tree. Now, the illustration of the cosmic tree, this is a common idea in, in the Mesopotamia, the idea of their cosmology, okay? The cosmology of the ancient world. You have, they would picture it like a giant tree. The middle of the tree, that was earth. The, the roots of the tree went to the grave, that's Sheol. The branches of the tree went into the heavens, That's the heavenly realm, the three realms that this cosmic tree would go through and represent. But the cosmic tree biblically, not mythologically, the cosmic tree biblically, it's this picture of the divine being judged. You know, God says to the cosmic tree, lay the root, lay the ax to the root, chop it down. Why? Because there were those in the heavenly realm who said, I will be like the most high. I will lift up my throne above the most high. And they brought rebellion to the heavenly realm, to the angels, and they brought rebellion to man. Yes? And so the Lord says, just like they will be judged, so will the pride of man. And he gives the illustration in Ezekiel 31. You can see it. In the eleventh year, the third month, first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, say to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his multitudes, not just to Pharaoh, this is a whole nation, whom are you like in your greatness? Well, oh, behold, Assyria was like the cedar in Lebanon. By the way, just so you know, Assyria is not in Lebanon. Not even remotely close to Lebanon. This is an illustration. Assyria is like, he's going to describe this tree. Let's look at the tree. Uh, In Lebanon, a beautiful branch is four shade, a towering height, the top in the clouds. The waters nourished it. The deep made it grow tall. The deep is the same phrase for the spirit hovered over the waters of the deep in Genesis chapter 1. Same word. The deep made it grow tall, making its rivers flow around the place of its planting, sending forth its streams to all the trees of the field. So it towered high above every tree of the field. The boughs grew large, branches long and abundant with water and shoots. All the birds of the heaven made their nests in its boughs. Oh, this all should sound a little bit familiar, right? Under its branches, all the beasts of the field give birth to their young, Under its shadow lived all the great nations. Now he's comparing this to Assyria, remember, which is the first of the seven that nobody talks about anymore. And they're saying, This is the great, they're the greatest of all time. It's beautiful in its greatness, in the length of its branches, its roots went down to abundant waters. The cedars in the garden of God could not rival it. So he's even comparing it to the trees in Eden. They could not rival this tree is amazing. The cedars in the garden of God could not rival it. Nor the fir trees equal its, b- its boughs. <clears throat> Neither were the plane trees like its branches. No tree in the garden of God was equal in beauty. I made it beautiful in the mass of its branches. And all the trees of, of Eden envied it that were in the garden of God. This is a picture of the cosmic tree. It's an illustration of the divine who are going to be judged, the, the tree chopped down, and then the comparison is Egypt, you think you're like Assyria, and Assyria thought they were the greatest of all time. They're the goat, they're the biggest tree, they're the head of gold. You remember when, when Nebuchadnezzar said that? By the way, when Nebuchadnezzar had the dream and Daniel told him the dream was that all the kingdoms of men are gonna fall until the kingdom of God is established and then the kingdom of God is gonna grow up and fill the whole earth. When Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar the dream, what did he do? Made a statue of what? All gold. Then he said, everybody's gonna bow down and worship it. Why? Because my kingdom will never fall. Was he right? No. In fact, while we're talking about this illustration of the cosmic tree, the idea, look at Daniel chapter 4. Because in Daniel chapter 4, you have the same story. You remember when Nebuchadnezzar was filled up with pride? Let's look at it. Daniel chapter 4, verse 7. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers, came in and told them the dream. But they could not make known to me its interpretation. And at last, Daniel came before me, he who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, <laughs> because I know the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult, Tell me the vision of my dream that I saw and its interpretation. Sounds just like the beginning of Daniel, right? Okay. Well, the visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. Behold, I saw a tree in the middle of the whole earth. Its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. The top reached to heaven. It was visible to the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. Same vision, right? The only difference is it's not Egypt thinking they're the tree, and it's not Assyria thinking they're the tree. Who is it? Babylon thinking they're the tree. Was any of them right? No. No. Were they the greatest of all time? No, they're not the greatest of all time. They're going to pass away. Now, keep your finger there. We're going to look back at Ezekiel 31, and I'm going to come right back to Daniel 4, verse 13. So hold your finger there. In Ezekiel 31, verse 10, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because it towered high, set its top among the clouds, its heart was proud of its height. I will give it into the hand of a mighty one of the nations, and he will surely deal with it as its wickedness deserves. I have cast it out. He's talking, the Lord's talking about the tree. I, will, I have cast it out. Foreigners, the most ruthless of nations, have cut it down, chopping down the tree and left it. On the mountains and in the valleys, all its branches have fallen. Its boughs have been broken in all the ravines of the land. All the peoples of the earth have gone away from its shadow and left it. So nobody's standing under this tree anymore. On its fallen trunk dwell all the birds of heaven. On its branches are all the beasts of the field. All this is in order that no trees by the waters may grow to towering heights and set their tops among the clouds. This is more than just talking about Egypt. Remember those, the part, the part of the fallen angels, it's not just Satan, right? You guys know it's not just one angel out there that's a problem. So we, we have some number of angels that are, that are fallen. We, had, we have no idea what the number. Revelation chapter 12 hints at a third, right? But what, what a third of how much? What's a third of an innumerable host? Because the Bible says the angels can't be numbered. So it's a lot. Are we okay with that? And of those fallen angels, the Lord is saying, those divine who set themselves up against me as being proud and they're like a giant tree, I'm going to fell them just like the nations are being felled. The gods that you're putting your trust in, the Lord is saying, are not gods. Are they powerful? Sure. Can an angel do more than you and I can do? Yeah. Can you fly? I can't fly. Can an angel fly? I don't know. It has six wings. I'm imagining they're for flying. The Bible says with two they cover their face, with two they cover their feet, and with two they fly, that they don't have to turn. They can go in every direction. I know I'm cheating a little bit. I'm talking about cherubim and seraphim, but if they got wings, I'm imagining the others do too. Can they do what we can't? The Bible talks about one angel wiping out 185,000 men by himself. Is an angel powerful? Yes. Isn't that why Paul said you should test all spirits? Not just believe them because they can do something amazing? Is it possible for the elect to be deceived? I don't know. We should be careful. He gave us a warning, right? If you give us a warning, and then we should at least pay attention. So all of these, this is a picture of the divine that have fallen. They, for they, listen, for they are all given over to death to the world below among the children of men and those who go down to the pit. If you read Psalm 82, you'll see the same phrase. You think you're God, but you will die like men. God's judgment to the divine. Now, as you held your place in Daniel 4, let's look over Daniel 4, verse 13. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in my bed, behold, a watcher, a holy one come down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop, chop down the tree. Lop off its branches, strip off its leaves, scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the bird from its branches. But leave the stump and the roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts of the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's to a beast. So we see when the Lord chops down that tree in Babylon, he doesn't make a full end of it like he's talking about with Egypt, this is, the, this is the judgment that comes on Nebuchadnezzar when he goes crazy, remember? And the Lord is teaching him, I'm the one who gave you the kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar's, no, this is the kingdom I have built. So the Lord says, okay, I'm gonna chop down a tree. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take away all of that and I'm gonna let you walk around like a crazy person for seven seasons. So, I don't know. I used to think that we wouldn't leave a crazy person in an office, but I don't believe that anymore. <laughs> but Nebuchadnezzar retained his kingdom, though he ate grass like an ox. He walked around naked and let his hair grow and his fingernails grow, and everybody said, what's going on? I said, I don't know. Nebuchadnezzar went nuts. But the kingdom of Babylon stood And at the end of the judgment, God let sanity return to his mind. And what did Nebuchadnezzar say? If you read the rest of chapter 4, you'll see. He gave an edict that said, The God Most High, the God of Daniel, is the only God for us. Then you will know, I am the Lord God. So you see, similarly, Daniel chapter 4, this vision of the tree. You see this vision of the tree here in Ezekiel. You see this vision of the tree a couple other times in Scripture. So the Lord says in verse 15, thus says the Lord God. Now we're back to Ezekiel and the fall of the nation of Egypt. Uh, On the day the cedar went down to Sheol, I cause mourning. So, what's happening? This tree's coming all the way down, right? All the way down to the grave. Sheol is the grave. I closed the deep over it, restrained its rivers. Many waters were stopped. I clothed Lebanon in gloom for it. All the trees of the field fainted because of it. By the way, he's not talking about Lebanon today. He's talking about something totally different. Lebanon could not care less if Egypt fell, ever. They're not together. They're not even in the same place. He's talking about, he's giving, providing this illustration of the place of the tree. Where is the place of the tree? In in Lebanon. It's it's a point of the illustration. Not intended to be taken as literal Lebanon. This is intended to be understood as an illustration of of the fallen divine, echoing the illustration of the fallen nation. The divine that they worshipped is judged, and the nation, she comes down as well. It says, all the trees of Eden, the choice and best of Lebanon. Oh, it's Eden in Lebanon? Okay, you guys are all tracking with me, right? All the best of Lebanon, all the drink water who were comforted in the world below, they went down to Sheol with it to those who are slain by the sword yes those who were its arm who lived under its shadow among the nations whom are you thus like in glory and in greatness so now he says ezekiel looking at the people talking about the prophecy to egypt he's saying which one of these trees are you like are you are you honestly going to cast your future into this World tree that's being judged and going down to the grave and facing the judgment of the afterlife, is that who you're going to follow? Who are you like among these trees in Eden? There was another tree in Eden. What do we call that tree? There was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil that brought the fall of man, but there was also another tree. What was it? The tree of life. Do you ever wonder why they didn't just hang out at that tree? Here, here the prophet is saying, Whom are you like in glory and greatness among the trees of Eden? You shall be brought down with the trees of Eden to the world below. You will lie among the uncircumcised with those who are slain by the sword. This is Pharaoh and his multitude, declares the Lord. Now I'm going to read you an explanation as we have been trying to describe and really don't have time to go into all the different details, but I want you to kind of um, see where we're going with this allegory, this picture of the prophecy. <clears throat> the use of a cedar of Lebanon as an allegory for a mighty nation is not a new thing. Ezekiel used the same idea in chapter 17. Uh, other echoes of the language of this chapter can be found in chapter 19, chapter 26, chapter 28. Uh, Isaiah's description of the fall of the king of Babylon, Babylon into Sheol has similar similarities in Isaiah 14, Daniel's description of Nebuchadnezzar's dream and his subsequent fall in Daniel chapter 4, which we looked at. The only way to view all these chapters that have shared imagery between them and be consistent is to recognize the divine rebellion behind the heart of the imagery, the awfulness of the pinnacle, the unthinkableness of the hubris that one among the counsel of God one of his angels uh, would fall and then the judgment that comes from that being consistently seen as part of the judgment of the nations or the leaders among the nations. So what we have in Ezekiel 31 is another reference to a rebellion in the divine council, that which is used to say, look Egypt, you think you're great And nations and their gods who are greater than you also thought this, and they have fallen. To reinforce the point, I'm going to draw on a story of a wonderful being in a wonderful place right there with his comrades in the midst of the heavenly realm and the divine council, yet they were judged as mighty as these divine beings were. When rebellion against the will of the God most high happens, it will be dealt with. So take heed, Egypt. You're nothing special. You're not an exception to the rule. You're just another footnote that the kingdoms of man will fall. And just like other nations who have tried to flaunt themselves against the will of Yahweh, you too will be history. The picture of what Ezekiel's talking about, we'll see a little bit more of that when we get into 32, and then that will be the end of the oracles on the nations, and we will begin looking for the future of Israel. Sound good? All right, why don't you guys stand with me. Let's pray. (laughs) Father God, we thank you for this time that we can uh, just... Dive into this study, Lord. I pray, God, that uh, you, you would intrigue us. Help us, Lord, to say, man, I want to understand this. I want to know this. I want to I want to be able to dig a little bit deeper. Where where does this where does this rabbit hole go? Lord, I pray, God, that as <coughs> we are challenged, Lord, I pray that we too would line ourselves up even as Uh, The Bereans that uh, you talk about in scripture, they were noble, they received the word of God with all readiness, and they searched the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. God, I pray that we just don't receive the word because I said something, but God, I pray, Lord, that we would be challenged to study the scriptures and dig deep to put away the brooms and the rakes and grab a shovel and say, Lord, I want to understand why are you giving these descriptions in this way, Lord? What are you trying to show us? What do you want us to understand? And in and through it all, God, may we be able to then take what we understand about the fall of Egypt or the fall of Assyria or the fall of the Medo-Persians or the fall of Greece or the fall of Rome and might we take that and Overlay our own time with it and understand, God, what you are showing us. Kingdoms of men, they fall, but the kingdom of God is eternal. So may we find our citizenship in his kingdom, his eternal kingdom. And may you then through all of this, God, be glorified and magnified that we will lift your name on high, that we would bring glory and honor to you. So, Lord, we ask your blessing upon us in this place. Lord, we also pray, God, as we go from here, we have a time of just fellowshipping with one another and snacks out in the on the patio and an opportunity to to play games and interact with one another. God, I pray that that you would bring alongside the older with the younger, that we would look across the aisle at someone we could pour into or someone that we could encourage or someone that we would uh, just desire to to see God um, uh, magnified in their life. And may we be a part of being a family of God here today, in our family time. And may you be glorified in it. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say it. Amen. Amen.